Lines off. They're away. Jamie Spencer looks around and toys with the opposition as Sariska both in to win his second Oaks for Jamie Spencer and Michael Bell. But Big Orange can, he's galloping on relentlessly. Palisades a sword fighter, fighting out second and third with Jake Zayed Road running on late. But Big Orange, this big horse, will once again put up a big performance. Back to back, Cata Goodwood Cup. And you can see those big race wins still mean the world to a man who's been a champion jockey in England and in Ireland, has ridden for all the major superpowers all around the world, and he's still going strong, or at least I think he is, Jamie Spencer. Um, welcome. Thanks very much for, for coming in. It's been a while. We've been, trying, we've been trying to do this a while, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So something seems to crop up, but um, even uh, I couldn't get out of it this week. <laughs> so does it does it still mean as much as it looks as it means riding these big race winners? Do you still have that that hunger, that fire, that drive, that desire? Yeah, of course. You wouldn't do it otherwise. You know, it's, it's what it's all about. Just just winning is what it's all about. Um, you know, it's what we get up in the morning to do, and most of the time it's losing. But when the, when you win, it's you know it's pleasant. Are you in a, a sort of place in your career now that you're you're pretty happy with? You know who you are. You know what you want. You've got everything just how you'd like it. Yeah, but I'm pretty reali realistic. You know, you, you, um, you know, you know what you, when you know you've got to ride. Um, sometimes good horse will come along, and sometimes you might have to wait a year or two for another good one, and you wait for a good spare ride. Or, so yeah, I'm, re I'm realistic, and as long as I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm enjoying it, I'll continue to do so. Uh, 1998, you rode your your first classic winner on on Tarascon in the in the Irish Guineas. Can you can you remember it very clearly <coughs> that period or was it all a bit of a blur at the time? Um, I can I can remember I was having a brutal season anyway. I was thinking of my second third season riding and I'd ridden one winner which was like on the Tuesday before so we were whatever two and a half months into the season I'd ridden one winner so it wasn't going very well and then I remember, I remember, I think on the Tuesday I rode her work with no, I had no idea I was riding her. And then when the declar I didn't know I was riding her until the declarations came out. I was looking at the apprentice race, seeing if I had a ride. And then Tommy Stack had never said anything to me. And then that, that morning he just said, oh, your honour. Yeah, obviously it's something you can't quantify or you'll never be able to explain properly. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I can still remember most of it, yeah. Did I remember ever... in the uh, after the last after my race, I went to have a shower. And Mick Canan came in and he said to me, "Just you know, s just sit down and take a breath." He said, "Because he said this doesn't come around every day." And he said, "You'll have a lot more disappointments than than this." And, and he was right. What was it? 
What was it like then sharing a sort of classic weighing room with people like Kinan? Those apps that Christy Roach, Kinan, then Murter and the late Pat Smullen. Yes, you learned off them every day because, you know, it's like everything. You're, you're, you're a sponge and you, tr you try and, you know, watch things, what they're doing. Christy Roach was very good to me. Um, he used to always give us lifts racing because uh, he used to sweat at the apprentice school. So mm -hmm. even though I, I wasn't a prodigy of the apprentice school, I used to live there. Um, and he used, to, yeah, he used to look after him as well. And he always looked after the apprentices. And, um, yeah, he was good. And, you know, Mick Canon was a man of few words. Um, but, like, when he did say something, he took heed. And you know, they were all different. Johnny was different. You know, he could be a bollock and you know, be on your case, you know. And he was a tough, rough rider. You know, he was a hardy rider. And, and Pat wouldn't give you an inch. So it's, that was the, the dominance of Irish racing at the time. And, well, the dominance that's, that's only grown and grown and grown. I mean, has that, has that surprised you at all? Or could you see even then that there were the aspects of the sport in Ireland that were just, just a little smarter and better organised? Well, I think, you know, Mick Canon, I think he opened the doors for everybody. Um, people could see that the Irish riders were more than capable of holding out on, on the big stage. And obviously, you know, Christy had, had won derbies, but, you know, Mick was doing it, you know, every week he was popping on a plane over and winning the big races. So, and, you know, as a kid growing up, you watch all that. So, you know, obviously you get intrigued by it all. Tommy Stack, the man who trained Tarascon, he, he and his family have been pretty important to you down the years, haven't they? Yeah, well, I went to school with Fozzie. So, um, yeah, no, listen, I've known him since I was knee height of a grasshopper. Um, so, yeah, Tommy's brilliant. Give you anything, bar money. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, fantastic man. And um, he, was, he was always very good to me. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a long time ago since I, since I was there. Obviously, I started with Liam Brown, but I was, I was at Stacks twice a week. So, it was good times. And was it always destiny that you would you would move at some point to to the uk did you feel that that was that was always a likelihood when you were when you were in those early days yeah um i didn't really want to come but um, barney curley convinced me he said you know you need to move to england there's there's a you know a bigger platform and more opportunities um i can even remember coming on the eve, new year's eve um of the, of the millennium and saying to myself i'll give it three months if i don't like it i'll go home but you know, it's like you start having a few winners and everything seems to be going okay. I got lucky because um, Frankie had a plane crash and Kieran had his fall at Ascot and they mm. were predominantly riding for Luca Kamani. I was riding for him at Ripon and, you know, up north when he had runners. And uh, from one, you know, the start of June, they were riding them all to within three weeks, both of them were out of action for the foreseeable future. So... You know, you get a lucky break, and that's you know that's the way life is. You know, and you just hope you can take the opportunity. And I was, I was lucky then; I had three seasons with Luca. Uh, you you mentioned Barney Curley. Of every guest we've had on this program, his his interview was the one that people will always ask about. And he was a sort of talismanic figure for for so many. Can you try and articulate why he made your life different? What it was about him? Because uh, he, he he didn't command respect, but you gave him respect. Um, 
I wasn't afraid of Barney, but I, I respected him enough that I didn't want to disappoint him. So, and there was often times I did disappoint him, but you know, essentially that was first and foremost in your mind: don't disappoint him, because he he really, you know, he is a hundred percent in your corner. It's, there's nothing in it for him, and it's only because he wanted to nurture your talent and help you to be the best jockey and person you could be. So, was it quite sort of arbitrary? Because obviously he had a big, strong relationship with you and with Frankie Dottori, and slightly more laterally with Tom Queeley. Are these just people that he felt a connection with, that he identified a talent in, and that he felt, for whatever reason, needed putting on the right path? Was that what was driving him? I guess so, yeah. Obviously, his son had died. Um, I met Barney a year after Charlie had died, so I, I had never met Charlie. And I guess... I was of a similar age at the time, and he, you know, he nurtured my talent, and obviously my own father uh, passed away before then. So, yeah, he was basically like a father figure to me, and I was very lucky to have him. Uh, what do you think was the most important direction that he he steered you in? What was the what was the single most important bit of advice that he he gave you? Um, he said, "You love all, you love loads of friends when everything's going well." Obviously, and every the back patters and telling you everything's great, but to believe in yourself when it's go, when when it's going against you, you know the, the ball doesn't bounce your way all the time in, in no way or form of life. Um, so just to believe in yourself when it's when it's stacked against you, and I think it's it stood me in good stead. I've always, even when it's going against me, I always in my mind say, what's the worst thing that can happen? I can lose the race. You know, it's not. I'm not, I haven't shot somebody, so. In my mind, because you have to, you have to relax, you know. And if you go out into a race nervous or tense, well, the horse will feel it, and that's the first thing he's going to feel it, and it's a waste of time. So you just have to believe in yourself every day, whether it's whether it's going good or bad. If you're on losing run at 25 or 30 or 50 or whatever, you still have to go out and do the exact same as you would have done. And it's easier said than done, but that's that's. I think he, he taught me that more than anything else. And that, you know, that helps a career grow, but it also helps a career uh, last. And we were talking to Brendan Powell earlier in the show, young guy still, but in his 11th season riding, started off doing great, had his issues, wheels fell off a bit, is starting to come back a little bit now. I mean, of everyone who's riding, of any international jockey, you've, you've had this in, incredibly interesting and varied and different career that's taken lots of different twists and turns and lots of different chapters. Do you think that's kind of just reflective of the person that, that you are, or is that just happenstance? Um, I think I, I give 100%, you know, off the track with, you know, riding out and doing all that sort of stuff. You have to, well, you have to enjoy it, you know. It's not really work, though, when you're enjoying it. So, um, obviously, in 2020, I had a bad injury, so mm. that, that set me back more than than I could uh, allow for at the time, and I tried to, you know, yes, like everything, you try to rush back and you say you're fine, but even till I got had an operation last November um, to get the metalwork out of my leg, it's, I still had like pain the whole time. So, in going to work and, and being in pain is not it's not ideal. So, um, yeah, other than that, I think I've had a consistent like 25 years of yeah. being very lucky, you know. Every time you get a fall, Ryan had that bad fall at Goodwood. I was coming behind, and basically it was like a car crash, and I injured my thumb, and he got absolutely 
mangled. So, you know, you, you, <laughs> your luck runs out in the end, so I guess. So I, I, was, I was due a fall and I was due an injury, so that's, that's the way I look at it. It was worse than we thought, and I know you were trying to kind of keep a bit back, and I, I yeah. get that completely. Yeah, it's, you know, hip and femur is a very difficult area because obviously it's the strongest bone in your body, so when you fracture it, it's, it takes a bit of time. Um, but, you know, I spoke a lot to Barry Garrity and about it, and like, I have huge ad- admiration for them because you see, oh, he's broke his leg, he's back within three months and riding over jumps, or Rachel Blackmore, she's come back from a bad injury. Like, you, you have to admire them because, you know, the the inevitability is that they're going to fall very soon. Um, whereas on the flat, yeah, you get one every now and again, but it's it's not guaranteed. Uh, uh, has that changed your... Men- mm, yeah, exactly, touch wood. Has that cha- I'm not sure that is wood, though. Um, has that changed your mentality about um, about the way you, you think? I mean, is that... Would, would you have said this to me three or four years ago, the same, even well, before the injury? Well, till you experience something, you don't understand it. So you kind of just... You read somebody's injured and you say, oh, he'll be back soon. But when you're going, the rehabilitation is the hardest part. The injury's not that bad. It's the rehabilitation is the hardest part. And just every day um, trying to build your body back up. And, yeah, it's, it's demanding. I mean, given the, given the experience you've had and given the people you've ridden for, you must have a, an almost unique perspective on um, the, the international horse racing scene. Going into, into Bally Doyle to ride as number one jockey for, for Aidan O'Brien back in the, the early 2000s, when you, when you first went, when you first took up the job, when you'd done a week or two there, what were you thinking? Hopefully find a good horse. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just, you just, you know, you take your chance, hope, and, you know, it wasn't to be how it, how it panned out, and, but, you know, you just got to get move on. So that's when you, when it's stacked against you, you put your head down and go to work and try and prove to people that you can uh, still ride horses. And you know, I've ridden a handful of Group Ones probably from, for Aiden since then. So yeah, your your relationship yeah. sustained. And I was meant to ride a couple of horses last year for one reason or another. It didn't happen. One didn't run. So you know, it's all, all I always get the odd spare ride. So it's it is is what it is. I mean, was it just, do you think, a fact, the, the fact that there weren't enough good horses in the stable at the time? Yeah, maybe. Christy Roach always said to me I was too young going there um, and before he even went. And, you know, hindsight's a great thing. Maybe it was too young. Did you ever think twice about taking the job, though? Not really, no. No. Oh, you couldn't, could Everybody you? wants the best horses, don't they? You couldn't? Yeah, it's the best horses, so it's like... Um, I had a very sheltered life up till then. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, you're, I was riding for Luca and I was second jockey to Frankie at Godolphin. So it was, it was an easy job. You know, you have, like, Godolphin was in those days 50, 60 horses. But I think one year I had eight rides. Mm-hmm. So it's not really, a, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a massive job then. Um, but then, you know, you're, you're cast into the limelight and scrutinised every day. And um, it, w- it wasn't easy and, you know, you're, you're an easy target for the people that have built you up. You're an easy target for them to knock you back down. So I learned a lot that year and after that. And it stuck with me, you know, keep your circle of friends tight. And, um, you know, because you, you'd be lucky to count five real friends in your hand. Anybody count ten, uh, I'd, be ne- I'd be doubtful. Did you just then 
exercise that reserve a little bit more because you were pretty open. You were a pretty open young guy, and then you did what you needed to do. That's what it. That's what struck me. You said what you needed to say after that. Yeah, you know. J.P. McManus always says, you never improve your position in life by speaking. It's, it's a true saying, you know, just less said, easier mended, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like most of the time I get asked to quote on different things and I have an opinion on it, but what's the point? You know, you kind of just let them all speak about it, you know, speak amongst yourselves or with people I'd trust or I'd have an interest having a conversation with about it, but speaking out in public is doesn't really end well, does it? And of course, in, in the end, it was a actually fairly short period of your life where you were, where you were at Ballydor. Then you came back to the, to the UK. I think a lot of us have very vivid memories of that, of that season where you came back and, and took the championship in 05, and then even more vivid memories, perhaps, of when you, you shared the championship with, with Seb Sanders. To what extent were you, were you really driving yourself with a point to prove at that time? Um... Well, sink or swim, isn't it? You kind of just have to get stuck in and just go to work and, you know, hope did you have winners and, yeah. When you're living it, you don't really understand it. It's only when you reflect on it afterwards, you think, mm. God, I was actually, you know, I did a lot of work in this, you know, you know doing Haydock in the afternoon and Carlisle in the evening and then driving home. Um, you look back, it's, it's like a blur, really, because it's, you, one day runs into the next and, was basically been like that for twenty odd, twenty-five years. You basically, you you know, you start in January, mooch about maybe Dubai or some part of the Emirates. Then you come, you, you go flat out from March to November, have a couple of months off, and then repeat. It's mm. just like like going around in circles. But um, I think that's why a lot of jockeys probably find it hard to adjust to life when they don't ride because you're off the hamster wheel. Are you is your brain already starting to think about? Easing your way off, not really, and not trying like, like that. But I could, way. people, I'd say, you know, when Richard Dunmuddy retired, I, I think, why, why did he not do something in racing, or you know? But he just obviously couldn't handle the scenario of being involved in the sport that meant the most to him. So he had to com- take a complete, mm. you know, cut it out completely. And because I'm guessing he would have had lots of offers to do various different things within the sport, but he didn't. And I can understand that now, having been in the sport for so long, that he found it so hard not to, you know, you're on, you're on the periphery rather than being bang smack in the action. But I'm guessing that, I mean, I know that you love lots of things about the sport that aren't, aren't riding horses. You like the buying and selling, you like the bloodstock side of it, you enjoy analysing form, you'll be watching races from America and Australia, and you're, you're interested in it all, not just what you're riding on any given yeah, day. Of course, you're interested. You have to be, you have to, you have to be committed. So... Yeah. Whether you're training a horse, riding a horse, buying a horse, whatever, you have to be committed. If you're if you're doing things half cocked, you're going to make mistakes. So, you know, I follow the form and you know, don't preach about it. But you know, I'd like to think that I I keep a, a close eye on everything. Mm. And it, but what I mean is, you you enjoy the whole. It's not yeah. just because jockeys. Some jockeys are motivated by what they are riding on any given day and riding as many winners as they possibly can. Yeah, that's yeah. not motivating you now, is it? Not really, you know, you're committed to your job, but, it, you know, I like all, all the aspects of the sport, so it's, it's been good to me. I've been lucky, mm. you know, been luckier than most, probably. 
And when I when I look back on it, or when you look back on it, and you you look at all those lovely horses you've ridden, and and all the classic winners you've ridden, and the fact that you're you're still doing it with just the same sort of style as you did 20 years ago, it seemed hard for for me to reconcile that with the fact that you actually w- were going to walk away from it and say I don't want to ride anymore. Yeah. Do you look back on that and think that was quite weird now, or or not? Possibly, but probably I'm, I'm unemployable. Probably outside race, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd be able to do a job like nine to five. Versus if I was, you know, having to. When you're working for yourself, you work all day long. Mm-hmm. But if you're working for somebody else, it's kind of you're going to work, aren't you? You clock on, clock on, and clock off. So I don't, I don't think I'm. I'm too far down the line for that now. So it's always going to be working for yourself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, but but why did you nearly pack it in? I just you get sick of your work after sometimes, you know, and then you know you take time off, and then you want to go back to work. It's it's like everything, you know. If you do everything the same day, all the same thing every day for on and on and on, it sometimes becomes becomes repetitive. Um, but I had a, a few months off, and I said to myself, "Well, I, I enjoy riding horses. Um, I'm still doing still doing it reasonably well, so why not?" And uh, you know, I've never, never one day ever regretted not doing it. Do you ever wonder why people are, are sort of unusually fascinated in, in you and your career? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, 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 I'm only doing the same as everybody else. Um, do some, some days, uh, some days I'd be saying to myself, oh, I wish I'd done better. Or, you know, you kind of, you, you know, everybody wants more, much wants more, isn't it? You just, you want, you want to do better, so. Yeah, you just hope. Like I'm starting. I started 2021 knowing that I didn't have a good horse mm-hmm. to to ride, and it was all it was always going to be a case of picking up a good spare ride to win a good race. So, um, if you don't have good two year olds, you're not going to have good three year olds. So, I rode a reason handful of reasonably smart two year olds back in the last year. That you know, that I'm excited about going to ride. You know, you know what it's like. You pitch up and ride them in the middle of March. One hasn't grown, and it's just stayed the same and then the one sometimes the one you least expect to improve is the one that's like transformed so that's the beauty of the sport we don't we, you never know it's not like um, I'm clocking into mm. working a shop and I know where I'm going to be at 5 o'clock in the evening and I'm 5.30 on Friday and that's it you know you still you, you still live with that burning fire of within you uh, of, of finding a good horse Okay, I think I so I'm sort of think I'm getting there now. I sort of get the feeling that in your career we sort of come to expect the unexpected. There's always something slightly different around each corner that's made life a bit more interesting, a bit more exciting. Yeah. That so it, do you, do you think subconsciously you've occasionally just thrown all the balls up in the air to see where they'll land? That you need to stimulate yourself. You need a new challenge. You need something else. You couldn't just do the same thing all the time. No, and you just you just well. Obviously, every morning you go into gallop, you know, especially this time when in a month's time you start galloping two-year-olds or cantering maybe the more later types. Um, you know, you get excited. Most of them are going to be slow, but uh, you know, every now and again you get out on one and you go, "Whoa!" You, you know, it's 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 hard to explain what the feeling when you ride a smart one. It's it's um, it's just exciting. You know, it's it's what we do. What's the best feeling you've ever had on a horse? Mm. Okay, it's easy to say when you ride. When I was riding Sariska, it was easy um, because she was better than her, the horses around her. So 
you could do whatever you, you wanted on her and she'd, she'd win. So, yeah, I guess winning the Irish Oaks in horror was a pretty special day. Um, and, you know, for different, for probably one of my most special moments was when I won a Brian Brew because um, Kieran Kelly had just died a month earlier and it was really close to him. We was, there was three or four of us. We lived together, so it was um, just poignant, really, at the time. And was, I, you know, it affected Paul Maloney and um, Paul Oregon and I, because we all kind of lived together, and a fellow called Paul Wade as well. So it was a difficult time for everyone, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the luck shines down on you and, and it works out. You you feel those personal connections very closely, don't you? Yeah, because as I said to you earlier, you only have possibly five friends. So if one of them gets killed, you're, um, you know, obviously I have, I've got plenty of friends, but it's be a small circle of people that I trust with my, you know, your personal life or your your thoughts. That mm-hmm. you know, so it's, you know, it's obviously when someone dies, it's uh, it's difficult. And Kieran Kelly would have been. Would yeah, have been he was one still of Grew up together, you know. He, he he was starting the same time as me. Um, Pat Dobbs and him were really close till Pat moved to England. So, yeah, he's he's a good fun fun fella. He lived life, and um, yeah, he's sadly taken too early. One thing people often observe about you is a is a great natural talent, and that's and that's absolutely right. Everybody knows how how naturally skilled and gifted you are on a horse. But to what extent does that notion sustain you through good times and bad? The fact that there is a a belief in your ability, or isn't there? Um, well, you have to, uh, you have to believe in yourself anyway. Um, whether anybody else does um, is another thing. But you know, if you believe in yourself, um, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but I've, I've always found riding riding the horse pr- reasonably easy. Mm. And um, I'd say only when I got injured was the first time I. W- I found that you know if it's some, it's like a car with its tracking. When I was coming back, I was balancing on my left leg more than my right. And it was the first time that I found it a little bit alien. And but other than that, I've always found riding riding the horses fairly easy. And you know, it's just they're they're animals, but you, I think you can sometimes think what they're going to do next. Um, if especially a, a boisterous one. And yeah, it's. I suppose it's it's why, why we do it, isn't it? And you've got you you feel you have time always. That's I guess the difference between someone who's completely at ease with what they're doing and someone who has to work much harder at it. Yeah, and sometimes on a horse, the the most reactive thing you can do is do nothing. You know, just just sit there. You know, if the horse is playing up or whatever, just sit there rather than trying to correct it or smack it or whatever. You know, sometimes it's just sit quiet. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Everyone, everyone says different. There are different ways of riding. Um, it's, uh, it's a bit of a puzzle, um, especially the bigger races. You know, it becomes more tactical. So, you know, it's uh, as I say, it's a bit of a puzzle. Is it a cl- is it a cliche to suggest there's a Jamie Spencer style of riding or a Jamie Spencer way of doing things? It's a typical Spencer ride. He does this. It works like that. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's just kind of. Does it annoy you? Um, sometimes, yeah. Well, it's kind of. You just try and ride the horse to achieve its best position by using its energy as evenly as possible. 
Um, yes, sometimes you ride a bad race and you're out of position, but what can you do? Sometimes you're handy and you're doing too much, and well, you can't, you can't, you know, the die is cast. Um, so yeah, it's you know, it's, it can be frustrating, but you know, I've got big shoulders. But nobody's got shoulders that are that big, uh, have they? No, but I just kind of... No one's impervious to it. No, but you, you just have to... You go out there, when the stall's open, you believe you're doing the right thing. And if, it's, if it ends up being the wrong thing, well, then you, know, you, you, you take the hit for it, whether that means going too fast or, or not getting there. One, you know, mistakes are made. Um, as I say, most of the time we're losing. So it's, um, you gotta be, you know, it's not a sport for... You know, from weak people, I guess. And when you're sitting there with a double handful, you know, half a furlong out and still haven't appeared not to have, have pressed all the buttons, it's it's a it's not something that everybody else can can pull off. Is that always in a bid to get the horse to do as little as possible, or is there ever any element of? No, I mean, sometimes I do that because the horse is going so easily. It's just. You can, horse can win five lengths, but it's you know sometimes f- fun to win a length. You know it's it's <laughs> not it's not bravado or anything like that. It's just sometimes it becomes fun. You know it's just it, it, you, you enjoy riding the horse and you're coming there cruising. What Charlie Swan do it for twenty years? Um, it's you know sometimes it's you know most of the time you just get on with the job and win the race. But sometimes if you're going that easily, you can you can. Hold on. Does he do enjoy that element of being a little bit cheeky? There is a little. There is an element of the showman in you, isn't there? Yeah, and I don't really know where that's from. It's not really my personality, kind of. You know, it's um, yeah. Sometimes it's you know, it's I guess it's how the horse is feeling at the time. But is actually riding riding racehorses the the best way that, or, or the the most comfortable way you find of expressing yourself? Well, it's the, it's, you know, it's just, you're, you're free of every, every, everyone for that period of time from when the stall's open, it's just you and the horse, isn't it? So it's, it's, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain what riding a horse is like. You'll never find, you'll never, you'll never, never be know. able to, you'll never be able to do anything that gives you the same exhilaration that, and sometimes not even when you're winning. You know, sometimes you're going through a race and there's a tight gap and you get through it and it's just like, it's a buzz. It's, 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 it's just too difficult to explain. Um, all riders will understand it, um, but it's, it's why we all do it, you know, just the, the enjoyment and, as I say, it's all down to winning in the end. And the, that sense of freedom, that sense of yeah, pure, yeah. liberated unadulterated joy and pleasure. Couldn't think of anything worse than to go racing on a day that I wasn't riding. Other than go to Cheltenham for one day or something like that. But other than that, I couldn't think of anything worse than mixing with people. Like, you know, ask questions or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> like a sound of misery. Like I, never, I wouldn't go to the sales unless I had to go to the sales. Because you don't want to chitter-chatter. Yeah, it's just like, it's just, it's just not something that I enjoy. You know, time wasting is a waste of time, isn't it? So, you're in this for a bit, for a bit yet, aren't you? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I don't plan too far ahead, but I have plans, but I don't plan too far ahead. And, you know, as I say, I'm enjoying it. I think I've got some nice horses to ride here, 
and in Ireland this year. So hopefully, um, you know, it'll be a good season and stay in one piece. Who's really getting your blood pumping at the moment? Which horses are making you think, mm, I, can, I can have a big say in Group 1 races? I thought Castle Star can, could be perfect power. If if he, um, you know if they if they meet three times it could be two one or mm-hmm. whatever I think there's not much between those two and they seem to be the best sprinting calls. So is he Commonwealth Cup Castle? I, I, I would imagine so. Yeah, I think that that'd be the plan. And he'd probably have a race beforehand. What would it mean to you to come full circle for the stacks and yeah. ride a big big Group One Royal Ascot winner for for Fozzie Stack in his own name? Yeah, yeah. I suppose our teacher will. I think we weren't paying too much attention if one ended up a trainer and the other ended up a jockey. There was only four of us in the class. So the, the girl was the teacher and the other was Tom Wagner. <laughs> that was it? Yeah. That was the class? Yeah. So not much room to copy each other's homework. And you, you rode quite a bit abroad last season. We were at Super Bowl last week. Yeah. Playing a starring role. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I got the ball thrown to me and <laughs> I didn't catch it. The poor fella behind me was about six foot. Oh. He, he, he got the brunt of it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's a fantastic sporting event. Um, really enjoyed it. I, I followed American football for the last maybe 10 seasons. Got into it like by... Followed Brady at the pack, at the Patriots. And then um, just started following him and then just got more and more into it. And, yes, yeah, the more you understand it, the more um, it's you see the dynamics of it all and... That was a brilliant game because you know, it's boring if you go to a game and one team is winning by 24 points and the other is zero. But they were, they were toing and froing and obviously the Bengals came are, are always good when they come from behind and they got back in front and then obviously the Rams got a late score. So it was, it was, it was an exciting game. It was long, but uh, it was exciting. Well, it takes a, it takes a top-class sportsman to appreciate, uh, appreciate top-class sport played at its best. Jamie, thanks very much for, for coming in. Thanks, Nick. I'm glad I managed to get you to sit in that seat eventually. <laughs> um, yeah. And good luck for, for 2022, wherever it takes you. Thanks very much, Nick. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai.